All right, if you got your Bibles, guys, go into 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And we're going to begin our reading at verse number 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse number 6. Uh, today, we're, we're dealing with the subject, and I told you on, on last week, when we got ready to close out, uh, preparing for greater as it relates to relationships. I want to talk about attitude. And the question that needs to be asked today, and you ask your neighbor, do you have an attitude? Uh, go on, go on, ask, ask, ask the next neighbor, say, do you have an attitude? Now, granted, most of the times when we ask that question, there is a negative connotation attached to it. Correct? What, you got an attitude or something? That's the way we normally say it. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you because we, we opened this up a little bit on last week. But I am convinced, and I think the Bible backs me up, that God is very concerned about our attitude. Are you with me today? So much so that he... He gave us a living, breathing example in the children of Israel as to what happens when our attitude is not where it needs to be. Can I get a witness? And so as we look at this, um, we uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, let's go down to verse number 6. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 6. The text says this. These things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan reverie. Next verse read, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in what? One day. Next verse says, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died by snake bites. Uh, next verse read, says, and don't grumble, watch this, and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Everybody say don't grumble. Go to Numbers 11 chapter, let's look at it in verse number one right there. Uh, read it, let's go to the KJV on that one. KJV, King James Version in Numbers 11 chapter, verse number one. Glory to God. Do you have an attitude? Glory to God. Do you have an attitude? The text says, and when the people did what? Let's read it again. Say, and when the people did what? Compl- and, and when the people did what? One more time. And when the people did what? I Say it one more time. And when the people did what? It displeased the Lord. And the Lord did what? He heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now, guys, we'll talk about do you have an attitude today? And today we're going to take a look at a complaining attitude, and how we need to make sure that we don't carry that type of attitude. And we're going to look at having a thankful attitude. And that's critically important. The scripture text, when we read, um, in the Bible, it talks about the fact, at first, in 1 Corinthians 10 chapter, it talks about the fact that things happened to the children of Israel and they were recorded in Scripture for our admonition, for our instruction, and for our direction. Are y'all listening to me today? 
The things that happened to the children of Israel, they happened, they were real because they were God's people. And it's recorded for our instruction, for our encouragement, for our exhortation. And so when we look at what they what happened to them as they were delivered from slavery in Egypt and on their way to the land of promise, you know, the story of entire generation failed to to receive what God had for them because of their fear, their unbelief and their constant what complaining, whining and complaining. And the Lord heard it. You'll see in several instances where the Lord dealt with them because of a complaining attitude. So let's talk about what complaining is. What's the definition of complaining? Or, or let's start with attitude first. The definition of attitude. And atti- attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. Everybody say attitudes are patterns of thinking that are formed over a long period of time. Wrong attitudes are hard to change because they are habitual. They are harmful ways of thinking about life and circumstances. Do you not know you can get into a rut of complaining and having a a negative disposition so much so that people who know you and have been around you long enough don't want to be around you because of your negativity, because of your constant complaining. And it, 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 it rises up on the inside of us in those patterns Patterns of thinking are so deeply ingrained in our hearts and our minds that we hardly even notice them. You can be so negative for so long, you don't even know you're negative. Because that pattern, that way of thinking has infiltrated and has been ingrained in you for a certain period of time. So, but we must understand, as this this third bullet point says, there is a direct correlation between our behavior and our thought life. There's a direct correlation between our behavior and what type of attitude we carry. Go to Romans, the 12th chapter with me right quick. Romans chapter number 12, and we'll uh, look at this from the New Living Translation. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, very familiar passage of Scripture. You all know it. But every time you read this, you ought to, something ought to click on the inside of you. I know something clicks on the inside of me every time I read this. Because wh- here's what God tells us, amen, in this text. In Paul's letter to the saints at Rome, he says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Right? Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now look at verse number two. Watch this. Watch this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, how? How is God going to transform us into a new person? By changing the way that we think. He's going to transform us into a new person. He's going to, he's going to get us to a position where he can utilize us for kingdom building purposes. He's going to transform our behavior, guys, by not just coming, us coming to church, by, but by us Allowing him to change the way we think. And our thinking has a whole lot to do with our attitude. It has a whole lot to do with our behavior. Amen. You remember, guys, and when we did our, our, our men's study, one of the things that we discovered is, is, is about our thought life. And we knew in studying that our behavior is closely tied to how we think. 
and our behavior can drive our thought life. Remember we said that your behavior maps out a small road in your brain that creates a, a basic pathway for your thoughts to go through, right? And as you repeat a particular behavior, your brain builds a bigger highway that allows for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about on that highway. And the results of that is your day-to-day actions, how you live life, what you do day-to-day. They, they've been built up over time, and it gets to be a routine. Can I get a witness? How many of y'all know that sometimes it's difficult to change that routine, right? Because we're accustomed to doing things a certain way. How many of y'all drive the same way to work every day? Let me see your hands. You drive the same way to work every day, right? You take the same highways, right? What would happen if, if you happen to take a different highway? It would feel a little strange to you, right? How many of y'all come to church the same way? I mean, I, I, I come to, every now and then I'll, instead of cutting across on old Palmetto Road, I'll keep on Linton Road and go up the, the real Palmetto Road and then turn right and come this way. Or either I'll go the back way, Linton Cutoff Road, and come down by the elementary school every now and then, but the majority of the time, I'm coming the same way. Do you come the same way? Because we are creatures of habit, and our thought patterns and our behavior begin to drive our thought life, and, into, and, 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 and so we think that's the best way to get to where we're going. But guys, in order to change your behavior, you must reprogram your bank brain because your behavior drives your, your thought life, and then your thought life now builds this highway there that has to be deconstructed. You remember, uh, you know, when they were building uh, I-49, and then in, in building I-49, as it connected to 220, anybody know what that is? That big loop there with the, yeah, 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 the overpass going over. In order to, 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 to build 49 and connect to the I-20, they had to deconstruct portions of I, I, uh, I-220, right? Tore up the whole thing. But guess what? During the process of tearing it up, it was very inconvenient for you, wasn't it? Oftentimes, you would get backed up with traffic because somebody invariably wasn't paying attention and ran into a barrier or hit somebody else, and then traffic would back up on 220 for miles, right? But once that highway was amen, reconstructed, Sherry, it gave you a smooth pathway to head over into Shreveport from Bozier, right? Or to go into West Shreveport or either to get on 49 North and go to Texarkana. Am I right about it? That highway had to be... Reconstructed, but it took time. It take it took effort. You had to deconstruct something in order to construct something. And what God wants to do with us is He wants to tear down our pattern of thinking. He wants to tear tear down, Amen. Uh, uh, the 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 Hardeman way of thinking, or wants to tear down Sherry. The you not a, you were you were a Douglas, but you didn't grow up a Douglas. You grew up a what? A crow, right? He wants to tear down the crow way of thinking and build up, Amen. God's way of thinking. In order to do that, he has to tear some stuff up, right? He has to break down some stuff that, that, that you've been used to riding on and used to thinking. And God says, I got to change that because I want to change your behavior. And it won't change until, amen, your thought pattern changes. The Bible teaches us to be transformed by the renewal of the mind, amen. And to be transformed, we got to be transformed by the renewal of mind, our mind through the power of the word of God. So the way God reconstructs our thinking is through, amen, tearing down our way of thinking and allowing his way of thinking to take a preeminent place in our mind. Now, the question becomes, if that's the way God changes our behavior, come on, if God changes our behavior, because you you can't make up your own way. God says, I got a way in which I'm going to deal with mankind. And he says, I'm going to change your behavior, amen, by changing the way you think. 
And the way I change the way you think is I give you new information. And my information, God says, comes from my holy word. So therein lies the problem with the church. Therein lies the problem with the church because God is trying to get us to change our behavior by changing the way we think. But if 80% of the church doesn't spend any time in his word, his word can't change, amen, our behavior. Because God's going to change your behavior without changing what? The way you think. If you don't get any new information other than what your family brought you up in, and thank God for family, but everything that family taught wasn't right. And many of us came up in, in all of us, let me back up, all of us came up in dysfunctional families. There is a certain level of dysfunctionality in every family that exists on this earth because every man was born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And because we got dysfunctionality, we have to overcome some of that stuff even after we've been saved. Can I get half a witness up there? How many of y'all are willing to admit that, that you got some messed up folk in your family? How many of y'all are willing to admit that sometimes you messed up? Hello? And so God has to deal with us. So, so he does it by transforming our thinking. And when he transforms our thinking, it transforms our behavior. But if you won't allow his word to have a place in your heart, in your mind, in your heart, then you can't get to where he wants you to be. So transformation begins with the renewing of your mind. So let's, let's, let's look at complaining, a complaining attitude versus a thankful attitude, because the children of Israel were complaining and the text in number says the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. So what's our definition of complaining? Watch this now, okay? And it should be on your outline, complaining. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with the circumstance that's not wrong and about which you're doing nothing to correct. Watch this now. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong and about which you're doing nothing to correct. So a lot of us can look at a circumstance, situation, and not like it, but we won't do anything to correct it. How many ever, how many ever complain about dirty dishes in the sink? Anybody in the house? Dirty dishes in the sink don't clean themselves. So you can, you can spend all day complaining about the dirty dishes when it's in your power to correct the situation. Are y'all tracking with me today? It's within your power to correct that situation in 99.9% of the case, unless you, you're ill or something, you can't, and got arthritis and can't do it, whatever. But most of us can wash some dishes. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong and about which you're doing nothing to correct. And we're good at that kind of stuff. People in the church are good at complaining about circumstances but do nothing to correct the circumstance. See, when you come to a situation or come to a meeting or come to anything with a problem, you ought to have a solution or at least be able to to 
to, to give out some, some viable options. Don't come and complain if you ain't going to do nothing about the circumstance you complained about. Hello? The truth about complaining, well, look at it. First of all, understand this. Complaining is a sin. Oh, no, it ain't, Pastor. But, uh, complaining is a sin. Let, let, let me tell you why, okay? God is directly affected when he hears our complaining. Go, go back to Numbers 11, chapter number right quick. Numbers chapter number 11, and look at verse number one. I said, God, ever say God? is directly affected when he hears our complaining. When he hears our complaining and he hears, when he, when he, when he understands and hears and, and, and feels our wrong attitude. Why is that, Brother Pastor? Well, here, here's why. See, complaining actually questions God's sovereignty. Notice what I said here. If you go back to our definition, we said that Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong and about which you're doing nothing to correct. You remember when the children of Israel started complaining about the manna from heaven? Do y'all recall that? When, it, when they started complaining about, amen, what God had provided for them to, to eat uh, and uh, you know, birds coming from, the, you know, he provide, providing uh, just birds to come for them to feed themselves. And they complained about it. And guess what God did? God said, you're going to complain about that? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you so much stuff flying from heaven that, that you ain't going to have enough room to pick it all up. And it's going to rot and stink because you can't eat it all. They were complaining. How many of y'all ever, let me back up. Because again, think about this for a second. This doesn't resonate with most of us. But how many of y'all ever plucked a chicken before? Uh, I mean, you, you pluck, pluck, I mean, I'm not talking about going to Brooks's or Walmart, but I mean, get the chicken out of the coop, wring his neck, and then pluck him. Because you can't eat the chicken with the feathers on it. You don't eat bird with feathers on it, right? But the plucking of the bird is a very what? Tedious process. And one translation said that, that, that it was so much uh, a foul birds on the ground, there's about three feet of fowls on the ground after they'd been complaining about what God was sending them. Now think about this for a second. Three feet of bird all around you, and you can't eat it all in one day, and they didn't have refrigerators like we did today. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to start to rot. There's going to be worms and maggots, and it's going to stink very bad. God said, you keep on complaining, you're going to have stink all around you. Can I put it that way? You're going to have stink all around you. So the text says, and when the people complained, it did what? It displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. The Lord heard it. He heard him complaining about a circumstance. Look at it, look at the next verse. Let's read this for good measure. Verse, verse number two. Let's read. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. See, Moses was an intercessor. Even though they complained about Moses, Moses was their go-to guy to get to God. Moses was a friend of God. See, sometimes when you complain about your pastor, I'm just saying just for just, you know, just just kind of you know, although you can go to God for yourself. 
I, I go to God for you too. But again, it ain't all about me. I'm just saying that, that you have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who sits, sits on the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for you. So be careful that you, what, what, who you complain about, amen? They complain about Moses, who was their leader, and, and Moses was the one who had to go to God to keep God from burning them all up. So complaining is a sin because it questions God's sovereignty. To complain is to say, in effect, God, you blew it. You had a chance to meet my expectations, but you couldn't handle it. What we're saying is, God, I, I, I don't think you really know what you were doing. Because if you knew what you were doing, you would have gave me that $20,000 I needed five years ago. Well, God knows that if he gave you $25,000 that you wanted, you are irresponsible. And so he gives you talents according to your ability to handle it. Are y'all still with me today? So, so, so complaining is a sin. Complaining involves circumstances and, and criticism involves people. See, it's one thing to complain, but it's another thing to have a critical attitude. We're talking about a complaining attitude today. So know the difference again. The truth about complaining is complaining involves circumstances. Criticism involves people. And we'll get on that later on in this, in this series because many of us are good at being critical of people. And what I would submit to you is, is that, that we got to make sure that we, we, we don't get into this, this mode and we got to check our attitude. And the thing, the third thing about the truth about complaining is that God is listening. You may be in your home all by yourself, but no, God is listening because the text says they complained and the Lord did what? He heard it. And when he heard it, he did something about it, didn't he? Can I get a witness? And, and you know, I, I believe that one of the worst kind of complaining to do is, is when we complain about adversity that comes out life. Because all of us, let, let, me, let me clue you into something. All of us, amen, have, have been entrusted by God to carry a measure of diversity, uh, adversity in our life. All of us have been entrusted by God to carry a certain measure of adversity. What do you mean by that, my pastor? Well, in order for God to shape us and to mold us and to make us be like he wants us to be, he has to come in and, and do some surgery on us. Can I get half with Go to Hebrews 12 chapter right quick. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. He has to come in and do some surgery on us. Now, guys, how many of y'all know no surgery is fun? I don't care how minor it may be. No surgery is fun. Nobody goes out and says, I think I'm going to go get me a surgery today. <laughs> if you do, we, we, we need to check you real quick, okay, because something's not right with you. But the surgery is designed to correct something in you. The surgery is designed to bring a measure of relief from the pain that you may be experiencing. And see, in our life, because we're human beings and because we are fallible and because we have a tendency to get fleshy, God has to deal with us because we belong to him. He dealt with Israel and he'll deal with the church. Let me say it again. He dealt with Israel, check your history out, and he, he'll deal with the church. Text says in Romans, um, Hebrews 12, verse number 5 and 6. Let's read it out loud and on purpose together. Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6 says what? And you have, forget, and you have forgotten 
the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Watch this. Don't make what? Light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Verse number six. Let's read together. For the Lord does what? Disciplines those he loves. Now watch this. The Lord does what? Discipline those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. That's Bible. There are some people who have a theology that God is love and that, 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 that you know, he's love and everything good is God. God is good. Yes, he is. But he's also a just God. And because he knows that we have the tendency to go off the reservation, he knows that we have a tendency to, to get off his pathway for righteousness. God has to discipline us. That's what it says for the Lord. Discipline those who he loves. Now, if you can live as a believer and do whatever you want to do and experience no ramifications, you better check and see if you're really saved. Because if you belong to God, you're his child whom the Lord loves. He chastens. He disciplines. And guys, parents, even you as a parent, if you are a good parent, deliver me from parents who won't whip their children. Because if you don't, if you don't start disciplining them at an early age, if you don't bend that reed while it's young, it's going to be tough to do when they get older. If the Lord disciplines those whom He loves, what about fathers and mothers today discipline those who they say they love? Can't stand a bratty little child, and that's an indication that the love of the parent has not been personified like the, like it needs to. Because if God disciplines us, we are discipline our own children, right? I said we ought to discipline our own children. Is that correct? So, so the worst kind of complaining deals with adversity because adversity comes because God has is, God is assigned a certain measure of adversity for all of us. Your adversity may not be like mine. All right? Uh, for some people, it may be a health situation. Because what God, even, even with that, I'm not saying that God sends it, but God will use it. Because we live in a fallen world, because we live in a fallen world of sin and of sickness. But that your measure of adversity may be sickness in your body. Somebody else's measure of adversity may be a, a job that they lost. Because you were trusting in the job more than you were trusting in God. And God said, I got to do something about it. That's my child there, but he's trusting GM. He's, he's here in Shreveport, Louisiana, back in the 80s, trusting GM, making $35, $40 an hour at the plant. And God says, Okay, I'm going to just let that plant move. I didn't send it, but I'm going to use it to deal with my servant there because my servant is starting to trust GM that brother didn't trust in me. My servant worked at the bank there, and now the, in, in the age of bank mergers back in the 80s and the 90s, they were, they were coming fast and furious, and now they, people were downsized out of a job. Now, I'm not saying every situation was your adversity, but I'm telling you what God will do. God will use that, amen, to get you to trust him. Because too many times, guys, you know it, amen, and I know it. My prayer life is more fervent faith whenever I'm going through something. Am I the only one up in here? Huh? And, and, and it seems like to me, I don't know about anybody, but it seems to me that sometimes we can get a little comfortable and, 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 and complacent in our walk with God. And God is saying, I didn't save you to stay at this level. 
I've got to purge some stuff out of you because I want to use you at a greater level. And I can't use you at that greater level when you're still immature and whining and complaining about little bitty stuff. I've got to deal with you. Whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chastens, he disciplines. So when we start complaining about the adversity in our life, what we fail to miss is that many times, not many times, but everything that happens to us, God knows what's happening. Go to Romans the 8th chapter right here. Romans 8, 28. And God is using every situation. Didn't say he sent it, but I, he sure will use it. And here's the other thing you got to realize. He knows exactly what's happening to us before it ever happens. Go, I, I tell you what, back up, if you will, to verse number 26. Start at verse number 26. Do you have an attitude? We're talking about a complaining attitude. That's what was going on with the children of Israel, and it disturbed God. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel because of their complaining attitude. So I want you to think about yourself today. How much complaining do I do? There's a song that you're saying too much complaining and not enough of, I thank you, Lord. And that is so true. Text says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. 27, let's read. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Verse 28. And we know that God causes what? And we know that God causes what? Wait, wait, wait. What is everything? Oh, wait, wait, wait. It couldn't possibly be this, this thing that I'm carrying, this burden or this lost job or, or, or financial ruin or, or, or sickness in my body or the death of a loved one. It couldn't be possibly that. God, got, God you got you to you change that scripture and say, it, he, we know God causes everything except, it's not what it says, is it? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and, and are called according to his purpose for them. So what God will do, God will work every situation out, amen, for our good. That means that there are going to be some times adversity comes in my life because God is trying to purge me. And the truth of the matter is, if you're really honest about it, sometimes we won't move until we made to move. In the church, people won't move by and large until they're made to move. But if you belong to God, he's going he's to push, he's going to nudge, he's, he's going to cajole you, he's going he's to do a lot of different things to try to get your attention. Because whom the Lord loves, he does what? So when you start complaining about the adversity in your life, what you're doing is saying, God, you're not sovereign. Because this says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So even though I'm going through adversity right now, I'm not going to question, Kevin, the sovereignty of God because God says he's going to work it together for my good. It's painful, yes. It's not pleasant. No, it's not. But you know what? In the midst of that adversity, I know God is going to work it out to, for my good. It's going to help me be the person he called me to be. Now, now that's, that's, that's a little deep for some folks. 
Because they're, they're, they're thinking, well, if God is God, he's a good God, why is he letting this happen to me? I'm here to tell you, God knows exactly where you are. I'm not saying it's a pleasant, painless experience, because many times when we go through adversity, it is painful, it is heartbreaking, but if you learn how to trust the sovereign God who created the heavens and earth, you will come through as pure gold. So, again, each one of us has been assigned the measure of adversity in our life because God is trying to do some things in us to get us to be where he wants us to be. Amen? So, 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 so complaining attitudes, we got to address it in our life because it's questions of sovereignty of God. Let's go to the how, what, what are we going to do then if we're going to get rid of that complaining attitude? Let's replace it with a thankful attitude. Amen? Let's replace it with a thankful attitude. Thankfulness is the perfect attitude to replace our sinful tendency to complain and thereby release joy and blessing into our lives. Go to Luke 17 right quick. Will you, will you admit with me, like I'm going to admit to myself, that sometimes I complain? You remember that song? I've had some good days. I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days and some sleepless nights. But when I, I look around and I think things over, all of my good days outweigh my bad days. And Byron, I, I won't complain. How many of y'all can actually say that? Because the Lord's been good to you. Uh, but I want to complain, Pastor. I want to complain. I don't like the situation. I want to complain. I want to tell somebody else about it. I want everybody in the church to know I'm complaining. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. The Lord hear you. He hears you. Let me, let, me, let me get it grammatically correct. The Lord hears you. In front of the country, the Lord hear you. <laughs> Israel complained and the Lord heard him. And he brought judgment. A complaining attitude. Let's, let's, let's get to this point, okay? Come on, let's move. Luke 17. Start at verse number 12 with Luke 17, verse number 12. Glory to God. Do you have an attitude? And I'm going to tell you, all of us have an attitude. It depends on what kind it is. See, rather than have a complaining attitude, we want to have a thankful attitude. As this is the last Sunday in the year 2019. Guys, do you, do you not realize that we're going into a new decade? We're going into a new decade. For the past 10 years, what have you done for God? For the past 10 years, how, has, how, how, how have you allowed God to use you? There are many people who start this decade with us who are no longer here. But you're still here. What does God want to do with you? How does God want to use you? How does he want to use me in this next, next, next decade? Think about that for a second. And watch this, watch this. As he entered a village there, the 10 lepers stood at a distance. Verse 13, let's read. Crying out, Jesus, Master, 
have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I remember I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, leprosy was, was a disease that was, you didn't want to have leprosy because you couldn't even stay with your family. They had leper colonies outside of the city. And again, I told you, whenever uh, somebody approached you and you knew you were a leper, you had to call out, leper, leper, have mercy, leper, you know, whatever it was. And again, if you, if, you, if, if you thought about that, how, how, how dehumanizing is that? But that's what they had to do. So he says, he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now watch this. See, when, 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 when you had leprosy and you were healed, it had to be verified by the priest. What Jesus said, when they said, have mercy on me, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, when he first said that, they still had leprosy. Come on now. But as they went, the text says, look, at, look. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. See, sometimes healing takes place instantaneously. And sometimes healing happens as you go through a period of time. Next verse. Let's read. Come on, let's go. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Verse 16. Let's read. Come on, let's go. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. This makes it even more in, 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 intriguing here because here Jesus is a Jew and now you got a Samaritan who hated Jews. Come on now. And maybe that's why some of the other ones kept going and didn't come back and thinking because maybe they were Samaritan too and then knew that a Jew had healed them and they still, their racial prejudice wouldn't allow them to come back and say, thank you. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Look at verse number 17. Come on the street. Said, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Come on, 18, let's read. Has, not, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, except this Samaritan? The text says in verse number 19, read it. Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. The KJV says, and he said unto them, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee what? Now, I, I will submit to you that in verse 19 of the King James Version, look at what Jesus said. He says, thy faith had made thee whole. I will submit to you that Jesus was not talking about being physically whole here. Because it's evident all of them were healed. They were made whole. And only one came back to give thanks. So it, that would be really redundant for him to say that again because he's already he's coming back because he's already healed. He's made whole. But in this text here, he says, he says, he says, Go, watch what the case He says, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So why would he say it again if the man coming back because he's already made whole? What Jesus was saying was because of your gratefulness. Hear me carefully. Because of your gratefulness, because of your thankfulness, you have been made whole in a much deeper way than those other cats who refuse to be thankful. That's what he's dealing with internally something triggered in this guy to make, have him come back and give thanks to Jesus Christ for what he had done for him. Are y'all with me today? So keep on. Make a note of this. Keep on the outline. Only when we recognize God as our gracious provider 
do we comprehend our need for God and begin to express faith in him? I'm going to repeat that again. Only when we recognize God as our gracious provider, he's my healer, he's my deliverer, he's my strong tower in my weakest hour, he's my bread in starving land, he's my water in dry places, he's my doctor in a sick room, he's my lawyer in a courtroom. When I recognize him as such, then I am thankful and I'm grateful that I serve a God who's able to do exceedingly abundant above all I can actually think according to the power that works in him. I begin to recognize that. When I recognize him as my gracious provider, only then do I comprehend my need for God and begin to express faith in him. There's a lot of folks who don't think they need God. And there's some folks in church who are members of churches but don't think they need God. But I'm here to tell you, God will put you, if you if you say you belong to him, he will allow situations to come up in your life. I know what I'm talking about because I've experienced it for myself. He will allow situations to come up in your life that your intellect can't do anything about. Your money can't do anything about. Your friends can't do anything about. Nobody who you know can help you but God. And so in order to get you there, Because he's trying to purge you. He's trying to make you be all that he desires for you to be. He brings a measure of adversity in our life. Check me out. If you think I'm lying, uh, check me out. Go back and look at the history of the children of Israel. He did it all the time with them. Come on, y'all. Y'all remember we studied the book of Judges, right? If you can't, the Bible said it. We studied the book of Judges. Time and time again, God had to deal with his people because something within us as human beings you know, we, 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 we'll do good for a little while and then we start trusting our own selves and we forget about what the Lord has done. So the Lord has to bring a measure of adversity to get us where he wants us to be. See, faith grows in the soil of thankfulness. Amen. Apart from thankfulness, our awareness of God will always be suppressed. Go, go to Romans chapter one with me right quick. Romans chapter one. Let's move here. I got to get, get you out of here. Romans chapter number one. Glory to God. Look at verse number 19. Romans 1, 19. Glory to God. Do you have an attitude? Let's, let's, let's get rid of the complaining attitude and replace it with an attitude of thankfulness. I can tell you this. When you complain about circumstances, it don't change a thing. It, as a matter of fact, it's an indicator of, of, of our lack of trust in God. It's an indicator that there's something missing with our relationship with God because if he's sovereign and he's going to work everything out together for my good, then in the midst of my adversity, I can still give thanks. Text says this, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to him. Talk about mankind. Verse number 20, read. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse. For what? They have no excuse for not knowing God. Look at verse number 21. Read it. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks or even give him thanks or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. 
As a result, their minds became dark and confused. What he's saying here is, guys, listen, if, if, if you think about this just for a second, if you really think about this for a second, not, listen, if, if, if nobody ever preached to me, God ought to be evident in creation. If you think that all of this world and, and, and the atmosphere and the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars, all this stuff just kind of came together as stuff banged together in the Big Bang Theory, it takes more faith to believe that than creation. Oh, y'all listen to me today. Wow. That's, what he's saying is really there's no excuse because God's, the, the, the fact that God is God and there's a God who created heaven and earth ought to be evident in nature. Are y'all with me today? And so uh, we ought to be grateful. Let's define gratitude. So grateful, grateful, gratitude. What is gratitude? To show that a kindness received is valued. That's what the dictionary says. Oxford Dictionary says the definition of gratitude is to show that a kindness received is valued. Is valued. Genuine gratitude requires that we get past obligation and somehow show that we deeply appreciate what we receive. Some of y'all may get up and say, well, thank you, Jesus. And a lot of us say it with our mouth. But are we really thanking him? Are we, are, are we really thankful for what the Lord has done? Are we really thankful for where we are in life today? No, you may not be what you want to be. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not, maybe you're not currently uh, where you're going to end up being. But can you be thankful for where you are right now? Can you be thankful? Can, can you have a thankful attitude rather than a complaining attitude? Now, now, so there's levels of gratitude. Let's look at these right quick. We'll get you out of here. Should be on the back of your page. Le- levels of gratitude. It's on the back. First level is where we go, go to Hebrews 13 and 15. We'll call this the elementary school level. This last time I asked you to look at your name, you said, neighbor, are you still in elementary school? Some of y'all are still in elementary school learning the ABCs of thankfulness. Hebrews 13. First level is what we're going to call elementary school level. Look at Hebrews 13, verse number 15. Elementary. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. KJV reads this way. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Every time you step up in this place and you drive on this campus, you ought to be thanking God, amen, for what he's done for you. When you roll out of your bed in the morning and you got breath in your body, I don't care if it's short breath or long breath, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus, for another day's journey. That's the very least we can do. Everybody said that's elementary gratitude. He says, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Glory to God. Next level is what we call the high school level. Go, go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. How many of you, let me ask you a question. When you drove up on the church campus today, what was going through your mind? Were you, 
When you got ready to come to church today and you drove on campus and parked your car, waved at the parking lot guys, came in and hugged the greeters, got a copy of the outlines for the sermon and sat down in your seat, what was your attitude like? Were you actually being thankful that you were able to be here today? Were you being thankful that God has blessed you for things to be as well as they are? Or did you come up in here thinking about all the stuff you got to do, all the presents you couldn't buy because you didn't have the money, all of the stuff that's going on in your life, what you got to do at work, what was your attitude? See, I challenged you about three or four months ago to, to ready yourself for the Sunday morning worship service. To get, don't just show up, but get yourself prepared mentally, spiritually, before you get, ever get in here. Because we can set the atmosphere when we come with a grateful heart and a thankful heart. I want to challenge you. Think about this for a second. Just, just take two, ten seconds. What was I thinking about when I came up here this morning? I know what some choir members thinking. Ooh, ooh, I got to get there. See, I've been honest about getting on, there on time. I got to get there on time. Some of y'all sped to get here. Can I get one choir member who'll be honest and say that you, you put your pedal to the metal to get here on time? Can I get one? Sherry, is, is that right? Sherry came out from the hills. Had to dodge some deers to get here. What were you thinking about before you came here today? See, our attitudes are critically important. So we see elementary just saying, thank you, Jesus. The sacrifice of praise coming from my lips. High school level, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. Watch this. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is a high school level of gratitude. I'm thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. In here, I'm thankful in all circumstances. How many of y'all, in the midst of your problematic situation, you can still be thankful and say, God, listen, it ain't what I want, but I thank you. It ain't what it was. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Now, again, the first part we talked about was a complaining attitude, right? Look at me. Yo, I want y'all to look at me. Some of y'all are complainers. You complain about this. You complain about that. It's dissatisfaction. What's our definition of complaining? It's dissatisfaction with the circumstance. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That's not wrong, and you and you 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 really have the power to do something about it, huh? Is, is that right? Is that what I said? It's 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 it's, it's you you, come, you 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 have the power to do something about it, but you sit there and just complain rather than doing something about it. When you complain, guess what happened? The Lord hears you. He gave us an example in Israel. He hears us, and he dealt with Israel because of their complaining attitude. Entire generation failed to, to reap the promised land because of their complaining attitude. So, three levels of gratitude. Number one is what? Elementary level. That means just, just saying, give thanks. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. Sacrifice, lift, sacrifice of praise comes from my lips. Thanking God for what all he's done. That's the first level. The second level is, is to be thankful in all circumstances. No matter what's going on around me, I'm still thankful. 
Look at how many of y'all want to go to the graduate school of, of thankfulness and gratitude? Let's go to let's go. How many of y'all want to go to grad school? Go to Ephesians 5. See, this is grad school stuff here. Everybody can't handle grad school thankfulness. Some of y'all still in elementary. Thank you, Jesus. That's all you do. Thank you, Jesus, and then go out and complain. You're still in elementary school. Watch this. Ephesians 5. 18 through 20. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. We're going to let you get out of here. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the way the KJV reads. Go to KJV on that one, okay? If you will, right quick. I can quote it for you, but let's just read it together. And what? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, look at the next verse. Let's read. Come on, let's go. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Singing and doing what? And making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse number 20. Read together. Giving thanks always. His graduate level. Not in all things, but what? For all things. Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know how many of you can get so dialed into God and so dialed into his sovereignty to know that he won't send nothing to your life that he didn't know was coming to your life. And he won't send nothing to your life that he won't use to make you to be the person he called in the day for you to be. Can you thank him, amen, for the lost job? Can you thank him for the broken marriage? Can you thank him for a man for the financial difficulty? Can you thank him for all things? That's some deep graduate level stuff there. Because I'm, I, 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 I'm pretty good about elementary. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I get up in the morning. I thank you for, for another day. And I'm pretty good about thanking him in all circumstances. But I'm still working on thanking him for some stuff that I don't like. Any of y'all still trying to get your graduate degree? I'm still trying to get my graduate degree because sometimes I don't want to thank him for adversity that comes in my life. But here's the, here's the thing I got to realize that he's working it together for my good. So if he's working it together for my good, I'm going to trust his sovereignty in the midst of my adversity. That's where I'm trying to get to. I ain't all the way there yet, y'all. Y'all pray for me. Because I'm trying to get there. Because some, some things are hard. And some of y'all are dealing with some hard situations. But I promise you, if you'll trust your God and know that even though this stuff is coming in your life, he has not forgotten about you. He is there to watch over you. He's there to guide you. He's there to encourage you. So give him thanks for all that he has done in your life. Thankful attitude. And I'm closing. Because you've got to accept the question, do I have an attitude? Yes, you have one. But the question is, what kind? Key points to walking in victory. Point number one, thankfulness is a decision. you got to decide to do. Point number two, thankfulness is a decision based in reality. See, there are things that happen in our life that are real. But we're able to overcome those things with the help of God. And point number three, thankfulness is a life-changing decision. It's a life-changing decision. Watch this. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for our living. 
Everybody say gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for our living. Jesus said, the thief come not but to steal, the kid and destroy, but I come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. So let's experience the abundant life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.